Blessed be the Holy Trinity and the undivided unity. Let us give glory to him because he has shown his mercy to us. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Today is the conclusion of the festival half of the church year. It's also the octave of Pentecost, the day of the giving of the Holy Spirit. And of course, that day concluded with the name of the Holy Trinity being put upon 3,000 souls as they were baptized. And so it is fitting for us in the culmination of this journey on this festival to rejoice in, as one author says, the Father incomprehensible, the Son incomprehensible, the Spirit incomprehensible, the whole thing incomprehensible. That's a joke. Dorothy Sayers. All this talk of the eternal, incomprehensible, and uncreated will make your head hurt. You might think that the stuff of this day is that really for the pastor in his study or for the academic theologians in their ivory towers. Too heady for you common folk. And you know that pastors, of course, delight in this day, even if you secretly hate it. We love all the detail that is given by the confessor of the Athanasian Creed in the way that he refutes the errors that had or would creep into the church and gives to us to confess and believe God as he is revealed in the Holy Scripture. Even the way that the interplay of the word games go in that creed delight us in our inner theologian. But for all their complexity, whether it is the apostles or the Nicene and today the Athanasian especially, these aren't simply just verbal exercises, a ritual that we perform each day, each morning, each divine service, nor is it just written for repetition. If you read the little introduction, the blurb before the Athanasian Creed in your bulletin, you'll know that confessors of these creeds died to say the words that are written therein. They swore to uphold this faith even unto death because they are true and genuine expositions of the doctrines of the Bible. In other words, to deny the creed, even if you don't like it or it's too long for you, is to deny the faith that is confessed therein. For Christians, there is no middle ground, no wishy-washy confession. I believe in some generic God. That's not sustainable for the Christian. It's the whole Trinity as he's revealed in the Scriptures, or it's nothing. If you don't get the God as he gives him to you, you don't get the Christian faith. Confessing the Athanasian Creed is like jumping into the deep end of the pool for the first time as a child. At first, you're somewhat timid, but once you jump in, well, maybe if you're like me, you can't wait to do it again and again and again to explore its depths and the wisdom that is confessed therein, swimming in its sonorous life. Indeed, a new world, a new life has been opened up to us, revealed for us in the name. For it is the life and name of the very triune God, who is love himself, that we come to know and worship whenever this creed is confessed. That's why it was wise for our Lutheran fathers to, to choose to retain for this day 
the old eighth day of Pentecost reading of Nicodemus and Jesus. At the center of this old reading was not simply the name of God, but the verbing, the doing of his name, that is baptizing. It's one thing to know God's name, as mind-blowing as a God who is one indivisible and three persons is, but also even it's another thing to confess all of his many attributes, what he is and what he isn't, the omnis, as you know them, omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, etc. But it's another thing, far beyond your wildest dreams, to know the God who in Christ is for you. God's name is given to you so that God's name does what the name loves to do. His name loves to drown the old sinner until he is dead, just like he drowned hard-hearted Pharaoh and all his host. His name loves to give to you new life, to be born again, to be born from above by water and the Spirit. His name loves to give you entrance into the kingdom of God as royal heirs. His name was put upon your forehead and upon your heart to mark you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. The name is given to you so that the name does what the name loves to do. Baptizing you into the cross, baptizing you into the name is what the triune God loves to do. And this is not just a one-off event, but it is a daily dying and rising into the life of the name of the Holy Trinity. Each day when we rise, we receive our food, and when we go to sleep, again, Christians make the sign of the cross, the sign of our redemption, with three fingers for the Holy Trinity on our foreheads. We confess God with the words, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, before we pray. Now you think that's some Catholic thing to do, like the Athanasian Creed is the Catholic faith. But as you maybe saw, that just means universal. It's what the church has done. Lutherans are not innovators, nor did we depart from the holy traditions as they've been received. Back in the third century, St. Tertullian reports on how beloved the name of the Trinity was to the Christian. This is what he writes. In all our undertakings, when we enter a place or leave it, before we dress, before we bathe, when we take our meals, when we light the lamps in the evening, before we rise at night, when we sit down to read, before each new task, we trace the sign of the cross on our foreheads. You think just making the sign of the cross here in church or in your daily prayers is a little excessive. Tertullian did it all the time. <laughs> so there is another reading that might be appropriate for this day, one that you no doubt know by heart because you learned it in the catechism attached to baptism. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. That familiar gospel is what our 
systematic theologians call the locus classicus, the central quoted passage for the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. We cannot confess the doctrine of the Trinity without confessing baptism. Jesus, shortly before he ascended to the right hand of the Father, spoke for the first time the complete name of God, that is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But it wasn't a new thing. The Holy Trinity was revealed to us even in Genesis, at creation, when the Spirit hovered over the face of the deep, and the Father breathed Jesus, the Word, calling all being all that has life and being into existence. And he continues to reveal himself as Father, Son, and Spirit through type and shadow throughout the Torah, the Psalms, and the Prophets. But it's not until the baptism of Jesus that the full Trinity is revealed. When the Father spoke, this is my beloved Son, and the Spirit descended upon him as a dove. Now the name is given, and it's attached to baptism. Not just to be heard, but to be placed upon you as you are washed in the water and marked as God's own child. So we do confess the Holy Trinity in its undivided unity each day as we confess our baptism and the name that we were given. Remembering as we make the sign of the cross upon our forehead and our heart or upon our head and heart and to shoulders. How is it that we are born of this Spirit and thus have new life in his name? Again, Jesus tells us it's not an earthly kind of birth of an earthly mother. He's speaking of heavenly things and thus of a heavenly birth. This birth comes by water, word, and Spirit. Just as at the beginning when waters were collected by the word of Jesus and the Spirit hovered over them. So again, now, new life, new creation is given to you as the Spirit of God hovers over the font. The water speaks, or excuse me, the Father speaks Jesus with the Word over the water, and then new life is given when and where the Spirit wishes. That's what we confess. That's what we believe. But you, maybe you can sympathize with Nicodemus. How can these things be? We don't have to, nor can we really understand our triune God. The creeds attempt to say what the Bible says, no more, no less. That doesn't mean that you will come away with a full and complete understanding. And we don't have to solve him. He's not a mystery to be sussed out. We can't plumb to the depths, not to the riches or to the wisdom or the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways, Paul said. No doubt. But that doesn't mean that we can ignore him. He is the giver of every good. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. For from him and through him and to him are all things. And nowhere is this more evident for us than in holy baptism. Where we are given new life. In a way that we just can't understand but we confess. We are given the word of Jesus to speak. The spirit to grant faith to believe and then adoption as sons to call God Father. That's the truth. That's what happens, whether you understand it or not. We can only say what we've been given to say. 
We have been given the Holy Scriptures and confess, whether it be in the Apostles, Nicene, or Athanasian Creed, or what we confess in the sacrament, baptism, and the Lord's Supper, absolution. We don't say these things because they're easy or because we figured it all out or because it's simple. We say them because it's true. It's the testimony of Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. Truly, truly, I say to you, we, that is the Holy Trinity, speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen. But don't just take my word for it, nor ought you to believe it simply because there's old guys like Athanasius or ecumenical councils like Nicaea and Constantinople or even the apostles themselves believing it and telling you to believe. Even if you just think the Bible is an authentically old book, you don't believe it just because you think it's probable. It might be true and might as well hedge your bets. No, that's not how it goes. Belief does not come by seeing. Belief does not come by your mind or by your reason or by your strength. Believing, whether it be the confession of God, the Holy Trinity, or as that Trinity is received by you in baptism, it comes by the name, doing what the name loves to do for you. It's God's gift. For from him and through him and to him are all things. And again, this name loves baptizing. The name loves giving new birth. The name loves to restore you in your baptism each day as you hear that word of forgiveness. Because the name loves you. No one has ascended into heaven except him who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Indeed, the scriptures, and by extension, the creeds and our confessions, are often far from easy to understand, for they are from the mind of God. They are the word given by the Holy Trinity. But they're received, and they're believed, and this is God's doing. Thus, when Isaiah saw the word incarnate in heaven, heaven barely could contain even the train of his robe, his spirit fills the heaven and the earth. Today you've been given to see into heavenly things, incomprehensible, unbelievable, except apart from the spirit. And thanks be to God that through your baptism you've received that name, the spirit, and Jesus, and God as your father, just as he desires to give. And he has given you to, grant, to confess the true faith by the power of the divine majesty. One God, now and forever. Amen. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org. That's stjohnrandomlake.org slash support and give today.